Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Tuesday, the 6th of October, 2020, and, well, it looks like we're back. I really do think that this should be the start of our return to the usual two episodes per week that we usually do this podcast, right? Um, Thank you very much to those of you who've inquired, if not by email, then phone call or Google Meet or Zoom call the last couple of months inquiring sort of what's going on, where's the podcast a couple of you actually asked whether I'm even still doing the podcast. Is it still a thing? And that gave me a quite a bit of a start um, because, yes, of course, I am still doing it. Suffice to say, I've just been extraordinarily busy. I mean, the kind of busy that, frankly, it's even gotten in the way of the usual routine of daily exercise even, which is pretty unusual for me. Um, but, yeah, things have just been extraordinarily busy. Uh, I say that in a good way, of course, um, not to mention most of my team, as I think you know, are based uh, in Europe, nine time zones ahead of me. So that kind of blows a hole in my day until about three in the afternoon um, here in California. Anyway, uh, let's see. We've, we've we've got some pretty cool things I want to chat about today. Um, and I really do hope this will be the first of a return to the usual twice per week episode run. So I, I don't want to do a discussion, a usual episode today, and you'll see why in a moment, I think. Um, you know, it's neither a conversation with a guest, nor is it going to be the typical three-part news episode. Rather, I want to discuss something really quite different, quite major, and it's admittedly a bit off the central focus of autonomous vehicles specifically, although it's certainly tangentially related. So we'll dive in in a moment. But uh, anyway, as usual, before getting started, if you're a fan of this podcast, please drop me five stars on Apple Podcasts. And uh, obviously, be sure to check out our website at hoagandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. All right, then, without further ado, let's dive in and get started. Episode 162 begins now. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, and what I want to talk about is a little something you probably remember hearing about in the news uh, what, about a week ago. But come 2035, California will ban the sale of new combustion engine vehicles. Now, before some of you listening start to tune out and say, oh, Mark, this has nothing to do with autonomous vehicles, not even tangentially, but it does, and you're wrong. Respectfully, you're wrong. It has a lot to do with AVs because, as we've said many times in the past, um, any company developing an EV is developing an AV and, frankly, vice versa as well. Alternatively, uh, if you're right, and I'm wrong, that has nothing to do with AVs and it shouldn't be discussed on this podcast, well, so what? I'm going to talk about it anyway because it is hugely important and it needs to be discussed 
And it shouldn't just be kind of swept under the rug because A, it's 15 years away, or B, it's going to be overturned and it's therefore an issue anyway. And, you know, or C, uh, it's just plain stupid, according to some people. But I'm going to talk about it because I think it needs to be discussed and because I think it's hugely important. And frankly, the astonishing amount of misinformation and just, frankly, incorrect arguments that I've heard are pretty mind-blowing. So let's dive in and kind of unpack this and see what's going on here, right? So, so the... the, the the idea is that in, you know, by 2035, California is not going to allow the sale of ICE vehicles, internal combustion engine vehicles. But to be clear, it's not going to allow the sale of new internal combustion vehicles. So you can still go out there and buy your beloved 1967 Ford Shelby GT500. I'd certainly love to. Um... But the point is, this is only going to affect the sale of new combustion engine vehicles. Now, a couple sort of high-level thoughts, first of all. 2035, I mean, honestly, I heard this and I thought, huh, that's actually pretty aggressive. I mean, for a state as big as California, with as many people as it has and as many cars on the road, never mind the fact it'll be the only U.S. state doing this, it's a pretty aggressive timeline, actually, I think. I mean, yeah, it's more or less in line with, the, with what many, many countries in Europe are already doing. And indeed, it's a bit behind what many of those countries are doing. But, but, but it's kind of within that sort of margin of error, right? So I think that's pretty neat. Um, and, and, and why not, right? Like, one thing that really infuriates me is when people try to get all political about something involving science and engineering. Uh, you know, th this shouldn't be a political thing, or alternatively, if you want it to be political, fine. Let's say this. Um, what is more patriotically American than innovation and technology? Having the newest, mostest, bestest in the world, right? I mean, what is more American than that? I mean, okay, there, I've said it, I've done it, that's my political rant for the moment. Um, the point is, this just makes sense from an engineering point of view, from a business point of view. Now, I know a lot of folks are going to say, oh, Mark, it doesn't make sense from a business point of view because you're basically penalizing um, businesses uh, you know, you're, by, by disallowing them to produce a certain thing. Um, they should be perhaps incentivized or whatever, right? Um, or maybe you're going to say, yeah, well, it's pull, putting a lot of oil companies out of business. Good. It's putting a lot of employees, oil companies out of business. Well, yeah, that is unfortunate, and we're going to have to find a way to deal with this. The solution of, oh, just let them keep pumping oil isn't a viable solution. It just isn't. Full stop. There's no, there's no debate there. There's no argument there. Uh, that just because, you know, just because the, the status quo is less bad than the alternative from certain people's points of view doesn't mean it's okay to keep doing it. Therefore, it means here's a wall. There's a challenge. It's got to be um, you know, it's got to be circumvented. And okay, well, we've got to figure out a way to do that, granted. But just keeping the status quo because of a bunch of people risk losing their jobs, as horrific as that is, and it is, that is a terrible outcome, I agree. The solution is not, oh, well, then I guess we just won't do it. The solution is, okay, cool, we've got to do this and we've got to figure that out too, right? But, but, but the, other, the other thing that's really weird to me is that I've been hearing a lot of the same argument, which is that there's an equity point of view here that everyone's missing, which is that somehow it's going to have an imbalanced impact on low-income people and families. Now, putting aside a moment the fact that the fundamental problem with being low-income, especially here in America, and for the record, I am kind of only speaking about this through a, 
American lens here in the States due to our profoundly, woefully inept social nets. It is true that if you're low income in this country, you are basically screwed. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> you know, I saw an amazing si uh, clip of the inimitable, wonderful Carl Sagan that resurfaced. I had never seen it before. I think it was Ted Turner was asking him, is he a socialist? And he begins by saying something like, wait, I don't even know what that means. Here's what I think. And he goes on to explain, he's like, look, you know, uh, the U.S., and this was 30 years ago, mind you. He says the U.S. ranks something like 18th or 19th in the world with respect to infant mortality, which means by definition that 17 other countries in the world are willing to spend more money to protect their children, we just don't care as much as they do. I just, you know, you, I mean, how do you argue with that? I mean, he's, he's right. And so with respect to the, the argument that this risks burdening low-income families here in the States, yeah, but everything burdens low-income families more in the States, disproportionately more so than anywhere else on planet Earth. And, and this is a really profound problem, but unfortunately, uh, again, I'm going to say, oh, well, this still is a change that needs to happen. But the good news is it's, it's actually not the sort of problem that people think it is. It just isn't. Low-income families, by definition, don't even tend to buy new cars. In fact, most people tend not to buy new cars regardless of wealth. Most people, I think something like 55, 60% of people tend to buy pre-owned or used cars. Less than half the population buys new, new cars, right? So the, 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 the argument that, that somehow this is going to unfairly burden low-income families is just categorically false. It's, it's an incorrect statement. It, it, complete, it is completely separate from the realities of, of what happens in the world, or at least here in the U.S. It's, that, that's not what happens. So... That argument is just DOA, okay? It just it doesn't fly. Furthermore, it's sort of missing the reality of what's going to be life in 2035. It's missing, it, it's completely failing to recognize where we're going to be come 2035 with respect to electric vehicles. So by 2035, which, by the way, that's 15 years in the future, right? That, that's more years in the future than Tesla has even been around. You know, in the 12 years that Tesla has been here, we've gone from their $90,000 Model S or whatever it was when it first came out 12 years ago or so to the starting price of $35,000 for the Tesla Model 3. And if you happen to catch it, a Tesla's battery day uh, a couple of weeks ago, they just announced they're going to be rolling out a $25,000 electric vehicle, probably going to be called something like the Model 2, I'm guessing. I have no idea. So, oh, and that'll be ready in three years, by the way. And a lot of this, of course, is due to the fact that they've managed to reduce the cost of uh, battery production by something like 56%. It's just astonishing. So by 2035, 15 years from now, it is mathematically certain that there will be numerous sub-$20,000 electric vehicles on the market. 
certainly pre-owned ones, maybe even new ones, probably even new ones. And I should say, by the way, come 2035, if we assume 3% inflation, um, these are going to be more like, you know, instead of sub 20,000, it's going to be sub 30,000. But anyway, so, so the point is, you know, if you're looking for a $15,000 electric vehicle, let's call it 25,000 by 2035, there's going to be plenty of those at that price point. And not just by Tesla, mind you, there are going to be many options from the likes of, say, Nissan or Volkswagen's new ID line of electric vehicles. You know, so this just, look, nobody is saying that these things are going to be banned in like three, four or five years. No one's saying you can't get used combustion engine cars. All it's talking about is in 15 years from now, you can't buy a new combustion vehicle in California. Now, okay, then there's another set of arguments, which says something like, yeah, well, all that's going to do, it's going to cause people to leave California, go across the border to Nevada or Washington or wherever else they can and buy a car and bring it back here. Okay, fine. Maybe so. But at least it's an impediment. At least it's an impediment, which is non-zero, right? And I agree that this might cause more harm than good if there were no alternatives, right? But again, 15 years from now we're talking about, there will be alternatives. There will be options. Check the data. Anybody who's owned a Tesla tends to buy a Tesla again. Not just because it's Tesla. I mean, that's part of it, yeah. But, but, but electric cars generally are just such amazing things. And once again, I have to point out, this isn't at the mutual exclusivity of loving gasoline cars. As I've said countless times, you use your iPhone or your Android for Spotify on a daily basis for your music. But you, if you're like me, you probably also have a beloved old-school record player at home to put on a nice record of Miles Davis for some nice snap, crackle, and pop jazz on a lazy Saturday evening reading a good book in front of the fireplace, fully encapsulating that beautifully wonderful Danish sense of hygge. I mean, these aren't mutually exclusive things. You can do both. You can do all of the above. But it's just talking about new cars. I don't understand why this is such a mortifying things for people, set of things for people to grasp. You know, and, and okay, for the requisite loop back to autonomous vehicle tech, yeah, look, this is just really great timing, honestly, because even fairly conservative timelines talk about, you know, around 2030, we should start to see a pretty healthy proliferation of at least level four vehicles in the early days of level five. You know, and again, show me a single genuinely dedicated autonomous vehicle company out there today which is trying to build an AV on an internal combustion engine platform. I'm not suggesting that that we're not going to see a lot of current internal combustion engine cars adapt ever more advanced so-called ADAS systems, which take them into the realm of advanced level three. But wholly new autonomous vehicle companies, these are all going to be built on or applied to electric vehicle platforms. This is just a fact. And so the timing of all this really syncs up uh, really quite nicely. So look, I, I, can, I, can almost, I can almost anticipate that a lot of you listening to this, or maybe not considering the, 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 the folks who are listening to this podcast in the first place, maybe the vast majority of you actually do tend to agree with me. But for those of you who are listening and, and not agreeing, if you really think I've missed something, 
I mean, let me know. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, as you probably know by now, I welcome people reaching out, if not by Twitter at Autonomous Hogue or even Instagram now. I'm trying to be more engaging on Instagram. Um, shoot me an email uh, through our website. Let's discuss it. And look, if you really want to have a meaningful chat about it, who knows? Maybe we can even do a future podcast episode to discuss this together. Um, whether you agree or not, it is indisputably the environmentally necessary choice. And I would argue, furthermore, finally, that for whatever inconveniences and difficulties such a transition imposes on some or even all sectors of society, I mean, it cannot be worse than the imposition and the harm that is mathematically certain to, to result in a future of untapped climate change. You know, it's funny, actually, speaking of Carl Sagan, it was <laughs> weirdly all these, I don't know why these are all surfacing suddenly, but there was another fascinating clip. He talks about, <clears throat> you know, during the Cold War, the U.S. spent something like $30 trillion. And, and it wasn't because the U.S. was 100% certain that the Soviets were going to launch a full-scale nuclear war against the U.S. They weren't 100% sure, but they were well, they were some percentage certain less than 100%. You know, it might have been 5%, it might have been 95%, it might have been 30%, but it wasn't 100%. Nevertheless, the U.S. decided, hey, the risk is so great that we better spend $30 trillion just to prepare for it in case that eventuality occurs. Here, we've got the exact same situation, right? People like to say, oh, well, science is always changing and evolving and, you know, any given day, any given year, there's a disagreement. Never mind the fact that these clips that I'm mentioning from Carl Sagan were 30 years ago and everything he said then is exactly what's being said now. It actually hasn't changed at all. In fact, if anything, I think projections are getting more dire and accelerating rather than decelerating. Um, and, you know, and so, so people like to say, well, you know, you know, science is changing. It's, 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 it's never, you know, people change and theories evolve. And first of all, that's the whole point of science. Otherwise, it would be a religion, fixed, static, unchanging, right? But the point is, so what if we don't have 100% certainty of where climate change is headed? Either with respect to the degree or the time frame or the direct Im, you know, uh, impact, either economically, practically, or otherwise, on human society. Even if we don't have 100% certainty or 100% you know, you know, perfect agreement amongst all the scientists out there, even if it's only 95% or 70%, I don't know, there's some interim percentage where we must agree that the risk makes it worth it to invest whatever it takes, simply because if we're wrong, we, and I say we, not we, the, not, not we Americans, not the United States, but we humans of Earth are in serious jeopardy. We're in really big trouble. On the other hand, um, if, if we're right, 
you know, if we're right about this, then we are in a position to help sort of avoid that. Um, again, if we're wrong, we, you know, we, we go through all this preparation and it turns out that climate change was <laughs> just a hoax, for instance, if it doesn't end up panning out as catastrophically as projected by virtually every single scientist on the planet. And if it doesn't turn out that way, and we just developed all this new technology <laughs> for nothing, whatever just happened to innovation because it puts us in a better place to where we were? Anyway, enough about that. If you have any serious critique, if you take any serious issue with anything I've said, yeah, do reach out to me, shoot me an email, reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, wherever at Autonomous Hogue, and I'm happy to chat further. And without further more to say about that, I think that is a wrap, <clears throat> because I am actually losing my voice. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening. I will see you back here, hopefully, on Friday. Until then, have a wonderful rest of the week. Bye-bye.